Welcome to this week's edition of Packed Up, everything you need to know about Pac-12 news, sports, and entertainment. My name is Jacob Jones, along with Kenji Ito. How we doing, Kenji? Uh, pretty good. You know, I think we got an exciting episode upcoming, so uh, let's just jump right into it. Absolutely. It has been a crazy week in the Pac-12. For uh, one school in particular, I think we, we could say. Mm-hmm. It's, I think we all know what school that is. Yeah, but we're going to sure. start off with the with the entertaining matchup. I think it's going to be really close. Yeah, is um, Oregon at Washington State? They're going to be playing in Pullman this week. Yeah, that's I'm really excited good. to see this matchup. Yeah, it's going to be pretty crazy. Um, like I'm just going to jump right out the gate. I think that Oregon is probably going to win the mm-hmm. game overall because I like how they performed ever since that week one matchup. But um, our good friend Danny, Danny Stipanovich, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he actually has the upset of Washington State. Washington State is really? gonna is gonna uh, take over this game and, hmm. and beat Oregon. But that that's not as important as the main headline for Oregon. So Oregon is now ranked number 15, right? Yeah. yeah. But to get to number 15, they jumped up 10 spots after beating BYU, mm-hmm. which is, in my opinion, like unbelievable. So like, what is, what is like, do you think this is just right? Or do you think it's like a little reaching a little much? Well, I think anytime you beat a big team and granted BYU was a very good football team. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to take anything away from Oregon because Oregon yeah. dominated that game. Oh yeah. I think at one point they were up like 21 to three yeah. and Oregon jumped out very quick. So I think I liked how Oregon's play calling was, they had a good system in place right from the beginning. And that's what you want to see from a team like Oregon, who's been kind of shaky up and down. No one's really been known what their, their identity is yet. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's normal. This, you know, maybe this right only how many weeks into the season Four. Yeah. We're going into our fourth, but I feel like Oregon's already set a good precedent for their season already. Yeah. It's at the start fast. It's the ends when you beat BYU, who was ranked number 12 at the time, Oregon 25. Yeah. You know, you'll get that recognition and so i think it's i don't know whether to call it well deserved because i'm still waiting for like the oregon ducks to show up yeah and i think part of the oregon ducks showed up saturday mm-hmm. but sure. you're going to be playing in pullman washington pullman is a very very tough place to play yeah and it is no joke when you walk into martin stadium we have seen t- ranked teams top 25 top 10 teams walk into martin stadium and walk out with a loss so it's it's oregon's gonna have their hands tied yeah, exactly. And per, like personally, when I was watching that Oregon Oregon game, because I like caught a caught a couple highlights, but I was watching when they were going on that good run that uh, that you mentioned. Like Bo Nix and the offense really started really started rolling in that game. Like for example, he had uh, he rushed for a career high three scores and added a pair of touchdown passes to help Oregon earn its twenty first straight home win, which is the wow. third longest active streak in college football. 21 straight games yeah that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy so like but i totally agree with what you're saying i think i think they are jumping the gun a little bit though like mm-hmm. bumping them up 10 spots i think the ap poll has been all over the place this this year like for example like florida uh in week one after beating utah you know they jumped up from unranked to i think number 12 or something yeah like i think it's been all over the place but i think as well does I think that this Oregon ranking is well-deserved at the same time because, like, 
most people thought that Oregon was this really bad team after losing to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then they beat again, they beat a cupcake team in Eastern Washington. And people are like, you know, we, yeah. we need to see real competition. And they faced real competition in BYU and absolutely dominated them. So honestly, I think that Oregon is right now on the rise. Yeah. And Oregon's been a team that has looked impressive and has played mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. Right. So when I say that I'm kind of waiting for Oregon to show up, it's not that I haven't already seen a lot from Oregon, mm-hmm. right? It's not the culmination of that. I haven't already seen Oregon take out teams, but I'm waiting for Oregon to have, you know, when they, if Oregon plays or when Oregon plays USC yeah. or when Oregon plays Utah. And that's the kind of, or- and obviously that's three or four weeks in the line whenever Oregon plays uh, the Trojans or the Utes. Yeah. Not sure I, think they, I think they play the Utes, but they don't play the Trojans. Oh, do they? That's yeah. how their that's how their Pac-12 South is kind of split up. Uh, it's it's I think they're like alternating. So I think Oregon and well, I guess I guess there isn't any more Pac-12 South anymore. Oh yeah, you're right. It's, it's got to get used to this new phase of the uh, the Pac-12. That yeah, just the Pac-12 conference. Just the Pac-12 conference, which I personally prefer. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the South North thing because you got a lot of because people were getting skimped and stuff. So mm-hmm. you saw teams like Colorado go to the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, like, not undeserving, but. But still, it's it would it would was like very interesting. And the the future of the Pac-12 is also up for grabs right now. Well, that's a, a maybe a topic for a later date. But uh, Oregon's also going to have their hands tied with their opponent, mm-hmm. Washington State. Yeah. Who who started off the year three and zero? Yeah. A lot of people say they should be ranked in the top twenty-five. Yeah. I personally think they've done enough to at least get a get some votes. Yeah. Obviously, they've gotten votes from some of the writers, but. Obviously not enough to jump into the top 25 rankings, but for the for Washington State, the big key for me right now, in terms of not only just playing off your home field advantage, but Oregon and third downs has been something very concerning so far. Yeah, exactly. I I completely agree. When they played Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia hit nine out of ten third down tries. They were nine for ten. Yeah. Eastern Washington and BYU also had a lot of um, good third down drives and were able to connect on a lot of, on a lot of third downs. Yeah. So for me, it's that, you know, Washington state has a very good run game. They've already shown that already in wins over Wisconsin. Yeah. Right. And so that's going to be a, the question for me is can Washington state cover that ground game and, and start picking apart Oregon? Cause that's how you're going to beat these guys or because Oregon can run right past you. If you don't yeah. Oregon can ball for sure. But like what you were saying about the like AP AP poll and like Washington State should be in, I think they should be since they are three and zero. But you have to think about this at the same time. You know, all of their games except the one which was against Colorado State was close. Mm-hmm. Against Idaho is twenty four to twenty four to seventeen. That should have been a blowout. Wisconsin, Wisconsin should have won that game. They got the upset. Congrats to them. Right, Colorado State. They beat 38 to seven. That's well deserving. But like going to what you were saying about like, like Washington State needs to like capitalize on all their downs. I think they will because running back Nakia Watson and the the three receivers in Donovan Ali, the Jong Stribling, and Lincoln Victor, they're all really good, and they're all really impressive so far. Like mm-hmm. Nick, the running back. For example, he already has 224 rushing yards yeah. in three games, right? All all the three receivers I mentioned, 
they all have more, uh, they all have uh, 100 plus yards, you know, and that's really hard to do because you can't really spread the ball around that much. It's, right. it's very impressive. And also, I didn't mention this name, but I think it's Dayon Henley. He's a linebacker for Washington State. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a really huge factor for them because this year in total, he has one interception, four sacks, and 30 total tackles. So I think like if all of these guys step up against this uh, good Oregon team, maybe Danny's right, and they could upset. Well, I think Washington State is the – to read the uh, Georgia Bulldogs book of how to beat the Oregon Ducks. Yeah. Exactly. And that's pressuring Bo Nix. Oh, Get yeah. Get him in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Force a couple turnovers. Like I've been saying a lot on this show, it's all about winning that turnover battle, mm-hmm. right? It's getting the stops that you need to. It's getting the fourth and two because you're the, because they're at the 25 yard line. And then, but, you know, get a stop and then you're, then you have the ball, right? So it's the little things for me for Washington State. And I don't know if I have them upsetting. I definitely have the game being close. Yeah. But, you know, we can get into main predictions later. Yeah. But I like what I see from Oregon, but I also like what I see from Washington State. That's going to be a really, really interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a tight ball. It's going to be a tight ball. Definitely. And, and I'll say it again, don't undermine the power of the fans. And yeah. Washington State has a, an amazing fan base. Yeah. And you know they're excited. You know they're also they're unhappy. A lot of Washington State fans believe they should be in the top 25. Yeah. And so they're going to be excited. They're going to be ready to, ready to be going. They're going to be mad. And so and I think Washington State's going to be mad too. So it's going to be fun to see them uh, take the field on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So now let's move into our like next matchup slash two teams. You know, all the Pac-12 teams are now in conference play. So it's, you got to combine that. You got to combine the two teams together now. UCLA at Colorado. Let's start with UCLA first of all, because it's the bigger name. But UCLA has has been interesting this year Mm -hmm. uh they've barely survived they've barely survived many games including the one last week against south alabama Mm -hmm. winning 31 i mean winning 32 to 31 yeah and it doesn't help the fact that you have low attendance numbers which is like a like a career record or something yeah with only twenty nine thousand fans and the rose bowl holds eighty eight thousand. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone listening has been to the Rose Bowl Stadium out in Pasadena. Yeah, it is humongous. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But I went personally. I went two years, 2013, 2015, where UCLA was nationally ranked. Yeah, and 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 UCLA fans packed the place. Yeah, there was not. It didn't look there was an empty seat at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, but now you look on broadcasts where they're kicking field goals, and there are tarps covering everything. Covering. Yeah. more than half the stands maybe not maybe not more than half but a big portion of the stands yeah exactly are are tarped off yeah even troy aikman made a comment about the low attendance yeah and he's he's a huge ucla alum well obviously yeah yeah that's a that's a pretty bad sign when alums coming after you it's yeah but i think they're also calling for fan support but i think when it comes to ucla who now is being discussed as whether or not they should even moved to the Big Ten. Yeah. The Pac-12 commissioner uh, even opened up the opportunity of having UCLA stay. Yeah. And have USC go to the big to the uh, the Big Ten. Yeah. Because I don't, I just, black people don't think UCLA is ready. Yeah. And I don't think they are. Personally. And that South Alabama game showed a lot of people that yeah. I don't think UCLA is ready for the big time. 
because South Alabama to a lot of people and to myself personally should have won that ball game. Mm-hmm. And a weird looking trick play with about, I don't know what, two, two some minutes left. Yeah, exactly. And they tried to pitch the ball out to their, their kicker, or it was like a designed run or. Yeah. It was the weirdest, weirdest thing ever. I'm not sure what it was. Yeah. But you, but South Alabama could have gone up by five. Mm-hmm. UCLA sure. only got a field goal on the drive. Granted, they got to the five-yard line, but they only got a field goal. Mm-hmm. So what if South Alabama does stop? And what if they get the fourth down stop and they get a turnover and UCLA is looking at two and one? But granted, UCLA, UCLA drives down the field and wins it. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then celebrates in the locker room. Like, like they, they just, just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, like they just won the college football championship or something. And, yeah. you know, hail to the mighty Bruins or whatever their their fight song is, right? Yeah. But it's going to be a good opportunity for UCLA to just be able to be down on a team. Because mm-hmm. Colorado is having a terrible, no good, very bad year through their first three games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like they've been completely embarrassed, like 38 to 13 versus TCU, 41 to 10 against Air Force and 49 to 7 against Minnesota. Yeah. That's just unbelievable and to me like both these teams need to like step up and show hey you know like we can compete in in the conference you know we don't like of course no one wants to be at the bottom but it is a huge possibility that one or two of these teams might be at the bottom you know there's no doubt i think colorado especially the way they've been playing yeah exactly it's and when you look at colorado and the scores and you just mentioned the scores 38-13 38-13 against TCU, 41-10 against Air Force, 49-7 against yeah. Minnesota. You know, that loss margin, it's, a 42-point loss margin, a 30-some point. And it's getting bigger, too. And so they're – that's also a good point. They're drastically losing more as the yeah. year has gone on. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, Colorado's been in this – I think the program in general has just been on this this slide. Yeah. Maybe ever since Philip Lindsay left for the yeah. NFL. Colorado's really never been the same because Colorado used to be a very heavy, heavy run team. Yeah. That's something we used to, you know, obviously that's why Philip Lindsay made it so big in Colorado because mm-hmm. they would, he would go off for 300 yard performances and lead Colorado to the, I think one year they made the Pac-12 championship, lost, yeah. lost to Washington and ended up going to the college football playoff and played Alabama. We all know what happened there. It's yeah. A Pac-12 was, team play, plays Alabama. Yeah. That was, that was pretty, uh, pretty sad it is the one time or i guess the second time a pac 12 team has made the playoff yeah you know, yeah that's just what happens but like you were saying for ucla and colorado it's going to be just a, a show ourselves game mm-hmm. and grants on pac 12 network and i'm not sure how many people outside of alumni are going to be watching the game yeah. generally but it's going to be a good opportunity just to say you know two teams that have have not really shown their stripes yet yeah. So I think it's going to be an opportunity, especially for Colorado, to say, if Colorado wins this game, granted they go one and three, yeah. but at least you're on the board. Mm-hmm. But if you go 0 oh and 4, then you're basically then, at the bottom. Then maybe just start recruiting at that yeah. point. Just start. If you even have any recruits, hit the recruiting trail. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's going to be an interesting game, to say the least. I I do have, you know, I guess we'll, we'll obviously get into predictions later, but I fully expect UCLA to come out and, yeah. and take them out. Yeah, like it's interesting because like I looked at this matchup and I looked at like what UCLA has done to their opponents recently. I'm gonna say this is a closer game than than it's gonna be, really? you know, because you, you played South Alabama and we like everyone can joke around. Oh, you almost lost to South Alabama. 
that game was so close and mm-hmm. that should have been a big time blowout for them yeah you know but I, I do have UCLA winning this game but I think them like I like I said just like a moment ago all it is about with these two teams is find who you can trust find who your star player is and just run through it you know right. that like going to the NFL for a little bit that's what the Rams are kind of doing right now. They're mm-hmm. just kind of feeding the ball to Cooper Cup, and they're barely edging out games. All I can for these teams too is like also finding your guy. Mm-hmm. Now, neither team has found that guy. Yeah. Obviously, you have DTR, who's you know very talented, and then Charbonnet, right? Running back. And, but away from that, I haven't seen a a general receiver that's really been the guy. Yeah, you know, everyone has their guy. I don't think they have their guy yet. So it's gonna be it's gonna be like a game where you find your guy, where you who's gonna be able to go off against USC or Utah or Arizona, you know, or Oregon, you name it. So it's gonna be an interesting matchup and uh we'll see what happens in in Boulder. Yeah. So, so it's yeah, mile high. Basically. That mile high air might get some people. I know when the people play the Broncos up in Denver. It impacts the uh, impacts your breathing, impacts your stamina. So yeah. Colorado takes advantage, but they have not taken advantage of anything that mile high air yet. So I don't expect them to take care to take advantage right now. Mm-hmm. Let's go into our next game. The number seven ranked USC Trojans are traveling to Corvallis, Oregon, to yeah. play the Oregon State Beavers. It's going to be a scary matchup. For USC them. has looked incredibly impressive. Yeah, but we know the history of when they go to Corvallis. Yep, they, it's they not usually a, tend to lose. Not always pretty. Yeah, but you obviously you obviously cheer for the USC Trojans. What are you looking for going into this game? Well, honestly, what I've seen through the USC Trojan game so far is that they're very like they're very star-studded heavy offense. Obviously, their defense obviously needs some work, which we'll get into for like Oregon State. But it's like. You can't just keep on targeting the same people, right? So, like, for example, uh, like the receiving core. You have all these star receivers, and you're just targeting Jordan Addison. That's going to be very simple to pick up, like, if this keeps on happening. So you got to spread the ball around. Caleb Williams is kind of doing that, but not enough. And then the run game, right? They need to kind of, like, chill out on the run, at like, at the same time. Because, like, you know, it's like, hey, it's third and short or third and five, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to pick up the first down. Oh, mm-hmm. it's obviously going to Austin Jones and Travis die. So you just have to like, in other words, you can't be predictable. You have to be like really confusing. And I think that's how good teams play is they don't play obvious. They play like unique. They, they mess up the defensive captain. They mess up the defense corner and sure. the other way around. Yeah. And I don't think the, uh, obviously, like you were saying, kind of spreading out your offense to not be so one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And granted, USC hasn't been too one-dimensional this year. Yeah. Caleb Williams has been able to find receivers and kind of help himself out in the running and passing game. But I think for Lincoln Riley, yeah, more on the defensive side than the offensive side. I mean, yeah. you just had uh, Romello Height. Yeah, he's out. Out he's- for likely the season. Yeah, that's going to be huge because, like, you know, he was a transfer from Auburn and – they need all the defensive help they can get. Well, that's also why hitting that recruiting trail and getting those transfers helps. Yeah, you know exactly. You know that's why they always say you know it's always depth, 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 right? Yeah, it's all about that's depth. what that's what USC has um, mm-hmm. shown the best part of their team to be yeah. is you have depth. Even at quarterback, you have depth. Yeah. If Caleb Williams were to go down, 
And who do you have as backup, right? Uh, Miller Moss, I think. Right. And yeah. Miller Moss is he's decent. A lot of people, say. a lot of people would take that as their their backup. Yeah. USC beat Stanford, obviously, 41-28, which was not as close as the people score. Want. Yeah. Because I think I believe Stanford put up um 14 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Just some uh, give me touchdowns. Yeah. But for me, going into a place like Corvallis, a very tough place to play. Um, the same thing because of the weather. The weather, it can mess with teams up there. It can be very challenging to beat a team up at Research Stadium. Mm-hmm. But USC's offense absolutely went off in that first half, in that first half against Stanford. Mm-hmm. You got, or I say USC led, they scored 21 points in the first quarter and then 14 more in the second. Yeah. I think they had like 35 to something at yeah. like half. So it was 35 14. Yeah. At halftime on the road. So for me, I'm not too concerned about USC on the road. You've already shown that you can go up on teams in hostile environments. Yeah. But it's just how do you spread out your offense? That's what Oregon State's going to be looking for. Exactly. And speaking of Oregon State, uh, my big key to the game for the Beavers is that you is that set up your run game. Uh-huh. USC has given up almost five yards a carry. Yeah, they allowed it to Rice, Stanford, and Fresno State, all the already this year. You know their run defense has been, you know, unimpressive so far. So if you're Oregon State, that's where I look for. That's what I would personally look for to go after. Mm-hmm. Can you set up the run game? Can you set up that um, that attack? Because if you can, that's then you get USC into uncomfortable situations. Yeah, but also like at the same time, I completely agree with you. Like you should. You should like focus on their weaknesses. But we were just talking about how USC can like just go off the wire. They're very fast paced. Mm-hmm. They score very quickly. So I feel like that at the same time you gotta mix in the pass and run. Yeah. Because like I mean, if it's the third, like just imagine if it's the third quarter, beginning of the third quarter, it's thirty-five to seven. I'm just making up numbers here, right? You you can't really just run the clock out because you're just hurt like Oregon State would this be hurting themselves, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like that is a good key point, but at the same time, like you gotta, you can't think one dimensional, you gotta think re- really broad against a, uh, against a heavy, heavy studded team. Most definitely. And that's the thing I am, was kind of uh, preaching before with USC. And if you're Oregon State, it's how do you slow them down? Mm-hmm. How do we just slow the game down? Yeah. We used to do with Oregon all the time. When Oregon, um, back in the early 2010s and later 2000s, yeah. you know, Oregon was the fastest team in college football. That Chip Kelly run offense, and they would run all over you, and they'd tire teams out. And so teams would have players fake injuries. Oh, yeah, I remember. Because it, because just to slow the pace down. Yeah. And I'm not saying Oregon State does any of that. I don't want any players to be faking injuries on the on the, on the the yeah field it's kind of bad sports to be stopped to be stopping the game right it's yeah. bad sportsmanship it's not the way you should be playing mm-hmm. but you got to find a way to yeah. control that somehow and however however Oregon State does it, it's up to them but you have we just have they just have to figure out how do we slow down USC how do we slow down the Trojans obviously not an easy thing to do but if you're going to try to beat USC that's the number one thing on my list yeah how do you just exactly. slow them down you know they're going to score in the first half Mm-hmm. USC's offense has been prolific this like year. The, like the top five in the country or something. Yeah. I mean, you just let, I mean, 
the stats speak for themselves, really. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think the main thing for me looking at Oregon State against USC is obviously how you slow them down, but also how do you keep up with them? Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I'm not sure anyone's keeping up with USC yeah. so far this year. Except like Georgia or something. So I believe uh, personally that USC run, runs away with it. Yeah. You know, obviously you know, you're away, but we know how well USC fans travel. Mm-hmm. So I don't sure. think that's going to be too big of a deal because yeah. you'll have a lot of big, a big USC congregate out in Corvallis, right? Yeah. I mean, that'll be a, I mean, USC, you know, more than anyone, USC fans love to travel yeah. and their band travels everywhere. So you're, yeah. you're playing the fight song. I have, I have a couple friends in the band, uh, band as well, and they're always so stoked, but like, I, I think SC is going to take this, but like you mentioned your keys to the game. And I think it's a very valid point. I'll give my keys to the game. Sure. Obviously Alex Grinch, great defensive coordinator in my opinion. And he's a, actually a top candidate for ASU head coach. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is how like you kind of take advantage to that USC defense, right? You take away the people that are great, right? Mm-hmm. You, you uh, double team Tuli Tulipolotu. It's some Hawaiian Samoan last mm-hmm. name. I don't yep. know how to pronounce it, right? You stop him. You double team him. You try to get him out of the way. You, you stop your two sudden linebackers and Shane Lee transfer from Alabama and Eric Gentry transfer from ASU. Mm-hmm. Gotta stop those two guys because those are those are the captains. Those are the captains and they stop the run like crazy. Right. You get like you have to think of like every single defensive player and you gotta target all the weak guys. It's very hard to do in a very football common sense, but thinking of it as a journalistic standpoint, that's what you have to do. You also have to take away that, hey, Makai Blackman has like so many interceptions of the year. Right. He's a, he's a defensive back that transferred in from Colorado. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he's very aggressive and he's very feisty with his hands. Right. So you like, don't target his way. It's kind of like, like when you play the Rams, don't try to target Jalen Ramsey. Right. Yeah. And then also over the top, you have Kalen Bullock, who's uh, the free safety for USC, very hard hitter. And he's very aggressive and he's fast because he's only a sophomore. Right. That other side, the strong side, is very weak. So, like, you take all those players out of the game, Oregon makes it closer than people think. And I think it, I think personally, it'll be it'll be closer than people think. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you touched on, they have to make sure you're touching all the bases on that one. And if you can, then yeah, you have a chance. But if you're letting up the big play, or oh, we have to stop him, but oh, we forgot about Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. Caleb Williams just ran 40 yards to the end zone. Yeah. Oh, now it's 14 nothing. Uh oh, not a pick, not a fumble. Uh oh, 21 nothing. Yeah. And then the game's over. Mm-hmm. And so I think Oregon State, as long as they don't fall into that that hole, then you can keep it close. But mm-hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see because because yeah. obviously USC can take that on in so many different areas. Uh, the game we'll cover on we'll cover next is number 13 Utah comes to Tempe tomorrow to play Arizona State. Yep. And there is a big elephant in the room right now mm-hmm. when, it come, when it comes to the ASU program. Yeah. Because on Sunday afternoon, Herm Edwards was relinquished, relinquished of his duties as head coach. Yep. And running backs coach Sean Aguano will be taking over as interim head coach for the rest of the season. Yeah. Obviously, huge news after an embarrassing loss to Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan 3 21, where ASU was really never in the game. 
Yeah. Or I just I never really felt like they were in the game. And the Herm Edwards firing or relinquishment, I should say, got to got to get used to that word. Yeah. And everyone says we're number one innovation. I guess we're uh, number one in vocabulary as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, it's just, it's disappointing. Uh, yeah. And obviously myself, I've been a, a long time ASU supporter and fan going to football games since I was very little. I've been talking to people a lot about it and people have been celebrating yeah. the, the uh, her members being gone. Yeah. Like, yes, it's like, it's finally happened. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm yeah. not exactly in that same yeah. category. I am glad I am, you know, glad that ASU is moving on. Yeah. But it's disappointing for the program. Exactly. In 2017, when Todd Graham was fired as head coach after um, five seasons, you know, the word of Herm Edwards being brought in was very exciting. And he and then he was brought in as head coach and the introductory press conference was I'm on the train and we're going to get this thing on the right track and yeah. so on and so forth. And people got excited. It's like, yes, yeah. finally, our program is back. We're, we're, you know, and then all this happens mm-hmm. and the experiment doesn't go well and then you have to move on. And it's just what happens, you know, it is, you know, coaches go and sometimes it doesn't work. And obviously this time it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's kind of proof that nothing like lasts forever, you know, mm-hmm. like, for example, like I thought Todd Graham, like, and this is not me coming as a, as an ASU fan, but when I saw that Todd Graham offense, you know, ASU has always been like weak uh, at the quarterback position when Todd Graham was there, but they were always really strong at running back, and it's always it's always been like an ongoing trend with ASU. Yeah, but it's like I thought that Todd Graham was going to be like there for like twenty years at mm-hmm. ASU. Some people might not agree with me, but this is like from a like a like a kid standpoint. It's like, oh, Todd Graham's going to be there for a very long time, and I hope he's the coach because I think he's very offensive minded. And all, like just this news, like publishing out to the like media, is proof that nothing lasts forever. Yeah, well, I think it's also time for ASU to move on. Yeah, and absolutely. ASU is obviously in a different phase right now with head coach, with interim head coach Sean Aguano. Yeah. And ASU has been calling on their fans for support to come out. They've introduced the devil walk in front of Sunville Stadium, where the the players will get off the team bus that will stop in front of the Desert Financial Arena, which if you're familiar with the Tempe area is about less than a block away from the football stadium. It's on the same street. And so and then so they're calling on uh, ASU fans, students, alumni to come out and, and greet the football team. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what ASU needs right now. Yeah, they need like that motivation to like keep on competing, especially going into a very tough game against a very very talented Utah team. Yeah, obviously led by Cam Rising, had a career high in passing touchdowns with four last week against San Diego State. Yeah, and yeah, it's gonna be exciting to see if he can keep that going. Mm-hmm. You know, Cam Rising is a once in a generational generational talent. Yeah, we saw him obviously go down in the Rose Bowl, but he was having a fantastic legendary day before he went down in Pasadena last year against Ohio State. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I think Cam Rising is great. And, you know, Utah, like, like landed him, like, perfectly because, you know, he's a transfer. I, I forgot where he transferred from. but That's right. Yeah. Um, like, U, Utah, like, should be very grateful for, him, like, him being there. And he feels completely grateful being there. Sure. But, you know, 
He just had four touchdowns. ASU's defense is super weak, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, because it's going through all this stuff. Even a crazy new headline that we saw today. We don't know if it's true or not, but we might say it in the show. But like I think that Cam Rising is gonna break that record again, like back to back weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's gonna have like five touchdowns total because you know uh mm-hmm. Utah kind of runs the offense through Cam. Sure. And they're just gonna take every advantage, every every point of weakness that ASU has and just take it over. Sure. And you see the way, you know, how Utah wins mm-hmm. is that they they come out and they just dominate. Mm-hmm. Away from the, the game against Florida, you know, Utah has come yeah. out and controlled the tempo in the first half. Exactly. And that's what ASU is a tough time with, setting the tempo. So I think for Utah going into tomorrow night's game, it's jumping on early. Obviously, this is an ASU team that is going through a tough time right now. Yeah. This is an ASU team that is trying to find their way, an ASU program that's trying to find that balance. Yeah. But also an ASU program that's, you know, hungry for a win. Yeah. So if you're Utah, you don't want to look down on ASU. Right. Because ASU for, you know, could jump on you 14 nothing. Yeah. Like they, they could get like an early lead and then, like Utah needs to think is like, hey, how can we get back into this game? But what I saw from ASU against Eastern Michigan and the way that the running game for Eastern Michigan was just tearing ASU apart. Yeah. And ASU didn't have a chance against uh, that young running back from Eastern Michigan. Uh, exactly. I think he wore number 22. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But the way he just dominated and controlled the entire offense through um, him, it's incredible. And I think it's going to be – Partly what Cam Rising is going to try to do is can I, and obviously we know how good of a runner Cam Rising is. Yeah. He's basically like prime Cam Newton, and, a little slower. And AS, so ASU is going to have to, you know, kind of choose where they divert their attention. Because mm-hmm. ASU has a tough time, especially with the read option and the decision making from the defensive side of the ball. ASU has a tough time with already this year. I agree. And okay. so ASU is going to have to really decide early. You know, how do we dominate? I think it's mm-hmm. gonna. I think ASU needs a couple turnovers too. Oh yeah, you know, they, for, they've been lacking on turnovers. For ASU to win this game tomorrow night, a lot of things have to go their way. But one thing that has to change for the Sun Devils is you have to get the passing game going. Mm-hmm. Daniel Ngata is a is an excellent running back. Ex Valade has shown himself to be a very excellent running back. But you are very. ASU is very one dimensional right now. When I look at ASU football and I look at the ASU football team, I can almost predict what's going to happen every play. Yeah, exactly. ASU runs a lot of sweeps. They run a lot of pitching goes. They they run a lot of inside zones. Yeah. But the one thing I haven't seen ASU do is try to move the ball around. Yeah, like throw the ball downfield. Right. Except that one like 90, no, 70 yard play by Giovanni Sanders. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be interesting to see how interim head coach Sean Aguano tries to change up the offense. Yeah. And I completely think he will. Because I believe he's hungry for his first win. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it comes against Utah or USC or Colorado, whoever it comes against, I don't think that matters to him. I think he just needs to get that first win under his belt. Yeah. But I think the first thing he needs to do is to change up the offense and exactly. to let Emory Jones throw the ball. Because mm-hmm. that's what, yeah. you know, I think a lot of the, the criticism on Herm so far is that, well, let Emory do his thing. Yeah, let Emory, like, control he, the ball. You know, stop giving it to – X and Daniel Ngata and 
like spread of the offense. Yeah. You know, even against NAU, that first quarter was very one-dimensional. Yeah. Against an FCS opponent mm-hmm. in Oklahoma State, when Arizona State played Oklahoma State, knew it was coming every play. They were already in the already seven or a few yards in the backfield yeah. every run play. So I think ASU just needs to switch it up a little bit tomorrow night. Yeah, I think like, and this is like my final remark on ASU before we move on, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I've seen that every team is very aggressive and ASU is very conservative. They're just basically handing the ball off on first and second down and like, oh man, we got to throw the ball on third down. They don't convert, then they punt away. Yeah. So it's all about like saying, you know, like we have the talent to be like all these other programs. Obviously we don't have like players like Cam Rising at ASU, we have Emory Jones, Yeah. but it's like, you still got to use those players when you can because these players don't last forever, Right. you know? And they're trying to pursue their dream and making the NFL and having a bad college date doesn't make that dream possible. Yeah. So it's like kind of, they got to realize that the goal is the touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not, not gaining 10 yards on a handoff is the goal. Yeah, and I think the last thing I'll say on ASU is that this mindset of slow it down and beat our opponents mentally yeah, and then go out and score exactly. is not working for me. No, it, it's really not. And it's also you have to start just playing a lot more mentally sound. Yeah. The, the opening kickoff last week against Eastern Michigan went out of bounds. Eastern Michigan got the ball at the 35-yard line to start the game. Yeah. That stuff can't happen. No, it's, a, a, it's all about discipline too. for a Pac-12 football team, and we've seen penalties, the holding, defensive holding, pass interference, yeah, unnecessary, unnecessary roughness, roughness against Oklahoma State, two unnecessary roughness penalties. Yeah, and, this, and it was the same guy too for just pushing a guy out of bounds after the play. Yeah, didn't even have to touch him, but just gave him a shove, just because. So that's why ASU needs to change. Mm-hmm. If they want a shot of winning the game, it has to be a full three-dimensional 360 for the for the team that's already been on the field the, the first three games because mm-hmm. that's not going to work against Utah. I give a lot of credit to Utah, and I fully expect Utah to come out and and yeah. maybe not blow ASU out of the water, yeah, but definitely set the tone early and get that going. Yeah, I, I think Utah wins this wins this by like probably like seventeen or more. It's it's going to be it, it's going to it's going to be uh, it's going to be a murder, unfortunately. Yeah, like, I I fully you know. Me and my uh, my friends will be at the uh, game tomorrow in the student section. Mm-hmm. But you know, hopefully students come out. Hopefully yeah. they have that support from the fan base. But you know, I don't blame ASU fans for being very upset right now. I yeah. I personally am very upset. So it's just it's a it's a wait and see approach for ASU right now. Mm-hmm. The next game we'll be covering up in Seattle after their big win over Washington or not Washington State, Michigan State last week is the Washington Huskies as they'll play host to the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah. A very good opportunity for Washington to get not only get back on the field, but show them, look, we're here to play. Mm-hmm. And I think because I think after big wins like the one they have over Michigan State, and they have a tough time kind of keeping the balance mm-hmm. of relevancy, right? And you're number eighteen in the polls, yeah. So you were able to jump up from unranked to ranked, right? It's you get in the top twenty-five with with not with ease, but with one one big win mm-hmm. and you're in. Yeah. So it's a good opportunity just for Washington to take down the Stanford team that's you know trying to find their identity right now. Yeah, exactly. And I think my whole my whole thing is this when it comes to like kind of big upsets is that you can celebrate all you want the night of. 
go party, go do this, don't do anything illegal, obviously, but party and everything that night of. But don't be like overconfident. Hey, we just beat number 11 Michigan State. We're the best in the world. Because you know what happens to those teams? They usually lose the week after, yep. you know? So they have to remember that they're still with Washington in Seattle, right? They have their ups and downs mm-hmm. and they just play to who they are, you know? Michael Penix, throw the ball downfield. Be a runner when you need to be a runner. Take care of the ball. Jalen Polk, a freshman wideout with six receptions, 153 yards, and three touchdowns, right? He has to, like, he doesn't need to perform exactly like that every week. Mm-hmm. Right. But be the leader of the receiving court, even though you're just a freshman, you know? Yeah, I think the important thing for Washington right now is that uh, look what USC did against Stanford. Mm-hmm. Stanford's defense has been very poor to start off the year. Exactly. So I think the thing for Washington is Washington has to make sure to take advantage of is how fast we can start. Mm-hmm. You know, how quickly can we jump on these guys? Yeah. And like we were saying before, USC jumped on Stanford. I believe the score was 41 to 28, I think. Yeah, it was, final score. but it was over by halftime. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so that's going to be important for Washington to keep in consideration, like you were saying, mm-hmm. to make sure that they keep their you know, keep their minds right. Yeah, keep their ego down. It's very easy for a college football team to look at their record and say, well, look where we are. We're 3-0, mm-hmm. number eight, the 18th best team in the country. Yeah. And yeah. we're playing Stanford, you know, who's coming into the game. Is it one and two? Yeah. Looking for their identity. So it's very easy to underlook this Stanford ball club. And I think for Stanford right now, it's all, it right now is about, okay, well, how do we, Get back on the how do we surprise yeah. these guys exactly and how do we jump on these guys yeah. and i think the big thing that stanford needs to do once the game starts is that it's the no messing around mentality mm-hmm. of that you know hit everything that moves kind of mentality right mm-hmm. it's the you know it's make sure you're on top of your game and don't let your put off the gas kind of mentality yeah because it's going to be a a a full go for Stanford coming into this week. If they want to beat Washington, because Washington look, not only do they look very proficient, they look very, they look very balanced. Yeah. Character. Last week against Michigan state. So the big thing for me is with Stanford is that, can you get your run game going? It's, it's yet to be really decided yeah. so far, whether or not Stanford can control and maintain their run game. This may be a good game to try it out mm-hmm. that, you know, Seattle air we've, there's been some statistics that show that, you know, when you play in Seattle, sometimes the ball gets, when you, when you, the, the passing game in Seattle is a little tougher yeah, because, exactly. the, because of the, the air and the elevation. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a good time to try out the, you know, a different kind of offense, but it's all about just keeping the balance the way you need it to be. And if they mm-hmm. can do that, then, you know, they can keep the game close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I, I'm just going to like kind of jump into my prediction right now, like with the, yeah. with this game. I think it's going to be Washington and landslide. And this is why is because I talked about this earlier with SC, obviously, but Stanford, like, and we talked about like how their offensive play style is very unique, but it's very one dimensional, you know? Yeah. And I think that Washington, Washington is a very good study team, you know, like they study the other teams and their tendencies and they just attack like crazy. Right. So I think that's what's exactly going to happen, you know. But for Stanford to come out and pull this game closer or win, 
they need to, like I, like we've said in the show many times, expand the offense, create a new personnel, because it's not going to work if people are just figuring you out before the snap. Yeah. Like I, I can, like you said for ASU, when I watch a Stanford game, I know majority of the time if it's a handoff or a pass to a, a six foot seven receiver or something they have or or a handoff to EJ Smith, you know, it's very, it's very predictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, Washington is definitely going to capitalize on that. I fully expect them to as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll obviously get into our main predictions uh, a little bit later, but you know, yeah. Washington, it's a good opportunity just for them to come out and, you know, start four and up. And there's, yeah. I think right now there's no better team to do it against than Stanford. Yeah, so exactly. it's a good opportunity for them just to jump on a struggling team and, and ride that wave. But for Stanford, just be careful of that run game because, you know, obviously it could come back to by Washington if they're not careful. But the way I've seen Washington play so far, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Next team we'll be going into is Arizona at Cal. Yeah. Two teams that have that are really still trying to find yeah. their way have looked impressive at times, but still trying to find the correct balance in terms of where their football team is. Mm-hmm. You know, both teams are two and one into this game. Yeah. You know, who can, you know, so the question is obviously who can go three and one. But, you know, I'll look at Cal first, a very close game against Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame got their edged it out, just yeah. only got their first one of the year. Yeah. And against it was, against it was like Cal. a field goal or something. Right. It was a 24 17 Notre Dame. I'm not sure if you saw the end of the game, but Notre Dame uh, or Cal threw a last-second Hail Mary pass to the end zone. It was tipped around and almost caught by Cal. Oh, but, the, but at the last second, it was dropped. Oh, man. It was in. A, it was like it looks like it was in the guy's stomach, and he was trying to hold it down, but he hit the floor and it dropped out. So you're maybe a foot away, inches away, yeah. from going to overtime in that game. Mm-hmm. So Cal could very well be 3-0 at this point. And then for Arizona, you survive against North Dakota State. You know, granted, North Dakota State's a very good program. They've been winning the FCS championship for, it feels like, eight or nine straight years now. Yeah. But, you know, I think for me in this game personally, it's looking at the quarterback battle and who can sustain their offense and who can start driving the ball down the field. Because whoever can, I don't think this game's going to be close on either side. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't I expect. I don't expect this game to be close on either side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. For me, like when I when I watch U of A and Cal games, I think to myself, right now these are the two most interesting teams in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Cal started two and zero and barely lost against Notre Dame. I think that what what Cal needs to do is just put that loss behind them and go have that same mentality you had when you were two and up, you know, that's all you got to do. Simple as that. And you're at home, you're at Berkeley. Yeah. Exactly. And so you do have that advantage. Yeah. But I think right now for a team like Cal mm-hmm. is on the defensive side of the ball. Oh yeah. How do we sure. control Jaden Delora? Mm-hmm. How yeah. do we control that dual threat? Yeah. I think it's just, pr- it's all about pressure. Absolutely. And then for Jaden Delora, um, you know, we've seen him, especially in the Mississippi state game. He was like trying to be a Heisman, or and something. he was running around. He looked like Kyler Murray, and he was, yeah. and he was running about twenty yards, and, and gets the opportunity, and he throws a pick. Yeah. Exactly. So for Jim Delora, it's also just being not being indecisive. 
-hmm. with the football. If you can, if you can be decisive, because Arizona has already shown against teams like San Diego State, yeah, of when they have everything firing on on all cylinders. Yeah, they're very confident in that game too. Absolutely. So I think going on the road to Cal, it's going to be a game where where U of A is going to have to start it up early. You know, there's no starting slow. Yeah. Or even just making sure Cal's not keeping with them. Set your own tempo that Cal can't touch. Exactly. And then for Cal, I think it's it's, you know, like I was saying, finding that balance of Jenny Lord, but also finding your own um, offensive balance. Exactly. And, you've, and you've, for me, it's getting the an offense struggle. Right. And for me, it's getting the run game going because mm-hmm. Arizona's uh, run defense has been off and on at times. Exactly. So if you can get that and you can sustain that, then you can jump out on them. Yeah, exactly. At like And like my remark about Arizona is that, like you just said, uh, I think you nailed all the points again. But like, I mean, they're such a very up and down team. It's like they like they don't necessarily blow out San Diego State but they win by like 18 points or something mm-hmm. against San Diego State. Yeah. Shocking game, right? Uh, then they lose to Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State yeah. like by so many possessions, which was obvious, you know? And then they barely win against North Dakota State. Like you said, North Dakota State is a good program, but it's like with the hype U of A has right now, it's like they should be winning these games by bigger margins, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think they can totally do it. Like, I mean, they have that receiver. I think his name is Jacob Cowling or something. They have him. They have a really good defensive line and Jaden Delora. And I think all it is about is, is like realizing what you have and using it and not, not being like, not being clueless. Because if you're clueless, you lose games. Right. And I think, like you were saying, just making sure everyone's on the right track. And for both teams, really. Exactly. It's not about, you know, I don't think this game's really about turnover battle. I think there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this game. I think it's just going to be like run, run, run. But I think it's also going to be a lot of punts. It's a lot It's a lot of yeah. small ball in this game. I think that's what both teams are going to try to do, just playing small ball. Yeah, exactly. But as we finish up the show, we'll get into our main predictions. Yeah. So we'll go up to the very top. We were talking before, number 15, Oregon at Washington State in Pullman. What's your prediction for this game? I got Oregon winning. And I got Oregon winning. I think their offense has been on a roll. Their defense mm-hmm. is getting more confident. So I got Oregon. You know, so do I. And it's not by – I don't have them by a big margin. Mm-hmm. I think Washington State is going to put up a good fight. Exactly. You know, obviously I was saying that that crowd in Pullman can make a huge difference. But I think the day Oregon's offense, when they fire on all cylinders, is hard to stop. Yeah, they're they're going. And so I do have um, Oregon taking out Washington State late, late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I think they they run away with it. Yeah. Now we look at UCLA at Colorado. Yeah. Personally, I think UCLA takes it. Colorado's just not in a, in a place right now. Yeah. And I think they'll you know, I think they have an opportunity to steal a couple games from teams this year, but I don't think this is one of them. Yeah, and I think UCLA after last week's game, after the scare, is going to come out mentally focused mm-hmm. and not let Colorado jump on them or get a big lead. So I have UCLA winning pretty big against Colorado. Yeah, I, I got UCLA uh, winning too, uh, by obvious reasons. Um, but I'll give you a score prediction too. Okay. This is interesting, but I say fifty-two to three. It's a hot take, but here's my reason. Fifty-two why. to three. 
Yeah. Wow. Big offensive day for the Bruins. Because you see their matchup. You see Colorado's matchups, 38, 41, 49, mm-hmm. right? You see a pattern. It's only going to increase up with UCLA. So mm-hmm. I'm saying 52, right? I like it. I, I, I like that. I like that, actually. And then you see you see the points they put up, 13, 10, and 7. Mm-hmm. That's all increments of three or, like, basically field goal, touchdown, field goal or something, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, that's why I say three points. I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to say 42-10 UCLA. 42-10? Nice. But I, I do have that high score. I mean, Colorado's offense just – or Colorado's defense, I should say, hasn't shown that sustainability. There's a reason they're giving up 49 points yeah. to Minnesota, right? Exactly. You know, even they even their head coach said, said, like all of you, I've been disappointed to watch your football, football team struggle this fall. Yeah. That's Carl Doral. That's their head coach for Colorado. Yeah. So, so That's so embarrassing. So just not good right now. Yeah. Let's go into our next game. Number seven, USC, going to Research Stadium to play – Oregon State, who do you have taking it? I got I got USC in this one, and but I think the offense is gonna get started fast, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if if any SC, any Pac 12 listeners are watching, or listening, I should say, not watching, like you got you, like this matchup is probably like probably the yeah. most like like nail biting, stressful games because it is in Corvallis. And it's two three and O teams, and SC is trying to get up to that college football playoff spot. Right. And Oregon probably doesn't want to have any of that. I'm in the same boat. I have a dominating win for USC. And I'll, even, I'll even give you a score prediction. Okay. 38-17. 38-17. Trojans. Okay. You know, Oregon State just isn't, you know, it's and mm-hmm. no slack to Oregon State. But, you know, I don't think they really have the run game right now yeah. to, to keep up with USC. And USC, USC is obviously giving up about five yards per carry so far. Exactly. But Oregon State doesn't have the kind of offense to really jump on USC. Yeah, and so I have USC taking a big. A lot of Oregon State fans uh, believe it in the third quarter. That's all. I'll, that's all I'll say on that yeah. one. I'll, I'll actually give you a score prediction as well. Sure. I, I say they put up forty-one and forty-five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with forty-five again mm-hmm. because I think Oregon State and Fresno are very similar mm-hmm. in some ways. And then I say Oregon State, since they have no or basically no running game, I would say probably like, I'll probably say 17 as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, number 13, Utah at Arizona State at Sunnibal Stadium tomorrow in Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I have this game not going ASU's way. Yeah. I think ASU keeps it a little closer than people imagine, but not close as in terms of like field goal to win it. Yeah. I have this being 38 to 24. Okay. So two touchdown win for Utah because ASU's defense just not has not shown that they can sustain drives or be able to really get Capitalize. get any big loss plays. And so I have Utah taking full advantage of that. Yeah, I, I, I got Utah winning. I think I think some teams above them will lose. So I'll probably they're probably gonna rank up some more. Um and like I said, I think that Cam Rising is going to have a great game. He's probably going to have like five touchdowns because the weak ASU defense. Um, I don't really know like with the score prediction, but mm-hmm. like it's probably going to be like 38 or no, I don't know. It's really yeah. tough. Like, it's always score. tough to tell with score predictions. You have like, to always have to, it's like, oh, man, like, are you really able to score this much? Like four, I would say like 42 to like, 42 to 13, because I don't like really see anything that like the ASU offense has like, other than that X. Right. X I can, I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Our last two games, Stanford at number 18, Washington. 
I have Washington taking this one big against the Stanford Cardinal. Absolutely. I, I think I completely agree with you on that. And if, one. as long as we're doing score predictions, I'll do uh I'll do 38 to uh I'll do 38 7. 38 7. They, I think I think Stanford, you know, I'm gonna say 38 14. Stanford gets a late touchdown. So I'll I'll give him, I'll give him a touchdown in the fourth quarter. I, I say 35, I say 35, I say 35 21 is because you know Stanford really likes to throw the jump ball half of the time to their tight ends. So I think they get I think they get three touchdowns just based on that. That sounds about right. Yeah. And in our last game of the Pac-12 slate, the Arizona Wildcats at Cal. Um, this is a back and forth game for me. Yeah. But I feel I, like it's going to be really low scoring and close. So do I. I feel like the defense are going to try to come up big and yeah. and try to stop. But I do have Arizona taking this one. Same here. And at Cal, I think Jaden Delora really has been working himself through the offense. And I think he finds that offensive connection this game. Oh, I agree. And I think he finds the the maybe the missing link or the one that he's been looking for. So I do have uh, uh, U of A taking this one. And I think I'm going to say, like, I don't know, 24, 13? Yeah. I, like that. I have it closer. I have 28, 17. I think that it's going to be a lot of defensive plays. And then, like, when that scoring needs to happen, it's going to come up. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say on Arizona, like I was touching on before, is can you get the connections right? That's why I just haven't seen that from Arizona yet. Yeah. Even, even though the win against San Diego State, they were more trying out the exactly. different, you know, offensive styles. Yeah. You know, Jane Laura would run the ball for 20-some yards, but then they'd pass and they'd run, then they'd run. And maybe that's how they confuse San Diego State. Exactly. But it's obviously not sustainable for a, a real game. Yeah. You know, mostly San Diego State was caught off guard and, you know, but at the new stadium and stuff. And so, but I think Arizona takes that uh, tomorrow. That is our slate of Pac-12 games and news. We thank you so much for listening in to Packed Up here on Blaze Radio on blazerealonline.com. We hope that you tune in next week for our next Friday show, but we hope you enjoy a big slate of Pac-12 football games and stay tuned here on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Thanks for listening.